Welcome to Ideas into Reality, a podcast to inspire everyone to take action to turn their ideas into reality. No matter what experience they have, where they live, or who they think they are right now. Each week, we introduce you to a founder that has taken their tiny flicker of an idea and done what it takes to bring it to reality. We also take a few minutes to dig into the how of some of the key lessons those founders have learned on their journey so that you can feel more confident in what to actually do as you start to take action on your idea. Ideas into Reality is hosted and produced by the team behind Canvas Coworking and Startup Toowoomba. So we'll be talking to founders from our local community here in regional Queensland, as well as some of the interesting folk that we have met during our travels around the globe. As you heard, Ideas into Reality is produced by the team behind Canvas Coworking. We know that everyone has different needs. So here at Canvas Coworking, we've created a range of extra services for our members to access if and when they need them. Perhaps you work from home, but you don't want everyone to know where you live. Our virtual office address is an option to use our address as your address. Do you want to create a prototype of a new device or perhaps repair an item rather than throw it away? We have a makerspace on site with tools and equipment like soldering irons, drills, a sewing machine, 3D printers and a laser cutter to make or fix a whole lot of stuff. And We believe learning is essential and sharing is kind. Our library is full of books and resources which have been gifted or loaned to share with others and we provide a full library of recordings of our learning events via our website for members to access at a time that suits them. You can find out more about these extra services via our website, canvascoworking.com.au. This week, I'm excited to introduce you to Natasha Johnston from Drought Angels, the founder of the charity organisation based in Chinchilla, a small town in the heart of the Western Downs region. I first met Tash when I was running a wire boot camp. Wire is for women in rural, regional and remote Queensland. The boot camp happened in Chinchilla and it was a few years ago now and Drought Angels has certainly grown since then and I'm really grateful to Tash for joining us today to share her story of how she turned that idea into a reality. So thanks so much for joining us today, Tash. I'm really excited to share this story with our listeners. To begin with, though, what I might do is get you just to tell us a little bit about what Drought Angels actually do. Sure. Thanks, Joy, for having me. Drought Angels is set up to assist our primary producers that are affected by all natural disasters, so whether that's drought, fire or flood, and any other trying circumstances, maybe a family's sick with cancer or something like that, we can also help, you know in a small way in that in that area as well. That's great and it's such a good service. So I'll remind people a few times, but if you don't know much about Drought Angels, I encourage you to jump on and check them out and find out all about it. But for today, we want to find out a bit about how you turned this idea into the reality that is Drought Angels. I'm really curious to know what was happening in your life at the time that you got the idea for Drought Angels at the very, very beginning before you'd done anything at all. It's quite funny actually how it came about. Um, My husband told me to find a hobby and I think he regrets that now, but um, 
I was working at a, a cafe in Chinchilla, uh, the Jamaica Blue Cafe, and I was just seeing a lot of photos of the drought on Facebook. And having grown up in Brisbane, I was just sharing them a lot, trying to make my friends in the city aware. Because I, I mean, living even living in Chinchilla, I had no idea how bad it was, you know, in our own backyard. So I was doing that, and then Nikki, who was my boss at the cafe, uh, one day said to me, "Why are you sharing all these photos?" And then I just told her, you know, I'm trying to make my friends aware. And she said, I want to do something, but I don't know what to do by myself. And I said, well, I want to do something too. So why don't we do something together? So we came up with doing a a ladies' cocktail night to raise the money for another organisation that was helping with the drought. And we thought that would be it. And anyway, we we raised $4,500 that night. All of our friends got behind us. Our friends donated the alcohol. Our friends donated the food for the night. The owners of Jamaica Blue donated the cafe and the staff so that we didn't have any outgoing costs at all. And we thought, wow, this is really easy. Like, this fundraising is all right. So we thought we could do some food collections as well. And we thought we'd be doing it for then three to six months and the rains would come and the drought would break and that would it but here we are six and a bit years later and um and we're still going wow and I I was wondering how long has it been because obviously our drought feels like it had been forever but yeah six and six and a bit years ago and obviously for some people they're still in that position of that same drought going on in their in their life so that's great and I think one of the things that you mentioned there that was really interesting was the fact that you'd come from Brisbane to Chinchilla. So obviously a lot of people would think that's significant move to the country, but even living in Chinchilla, you still didn't actually comprehend the full extent of what that drought meant living in town, I guess. So it, you didn't probably have the same feel as if you were maybe out on a property. Is that fair to say? Definitely. I didn't understand how bad it was. I grew up on 40 acres in Brisbane. It used to be the outskirts of Brisbane. And my parents always had properties. So the last one they had was at Leeburn, just on the Darling Downs there when I was going through high school. And my parents almost lost everything at that time because interest rates were at 20% and dad had a couple of years of floods. So he lost crops to floods. So yeah, I kind of, I understood what people were going through, but I just actually had no concept, or not concept, but no understanding that actually how bad it really was so close to us. Yeah, I guess that's where my passion came from in that I've seen what families go through with almost losing everything and I just wanted to do something to help. It's always really interesting to hear those first steps that you took and running a cocktail night and as you said, oh, this fundraising thing's really easy and it's fun. But obviously it's progressed a lot from there and running a fun cocktail night. So after doing that, what were the next steps that you took to actually start to to make this into something bigger? So from there, we actually did another fundraiser. We did a, a charity auction night and we raised, I think it was almost about $40,000 that night. And then, actually before that we did that, we went and asked the Chinchilla Family uh, Support Centre if they would auspice us because we just wanted to make sure anything that we were doing was, you know, the finances were handled by the right people and everything was, was being done properly. So, yeah, so the Chinchilla Family Support Centre auspiced us and again, we thought it would be for three to six months and the rains would come. But again, yeah, after oh, I think it was about three years, the Family Support Centre sort of finally said to us, look, you guys are too big for us now. This, we can't keep doing this, which we completely understood. So then we had to make the decision as to whether we sold it up um, and didn't do this anymore or whether we took the leap and became a registered charity ourselves. We actually had a gentleman that owned several IGA stores in Brisbane 
and he was a really good sponsor towards us. So he actually covered the cost for us to become the registered charity. Yes, I guess that was the next step to become the charity. There's a lot involved in that. So you make it sound relatively simple, but I think there, there would have been, I imagine, a lot of things that you had to learn throughout that process and even finding those people like the fellow that owned the supermarkets to work with you. What did you actually do to learn what you needed to do? Like were there, was there a book you could read? Was there a manual to follow? Like what did you do? <laughs> no, definitely not. I wish there was. Uh, Nikki and I spent hours and days researching on the internet, spending hours on the phone on hold to the different departments that, you know, we would ring one department and they would tell us that we had to talk to another department we would ring that department who would then tell us we had to talk to the other department. And uh, I think after a, a couple of months of hitting our heads against a brick wall, there has to be an easier way for this. This is just, how do people do this? Like you keep getting shoveled from you know one person to the other. And so I Googled not-for-profit lawyer to see if there was anyone that could possibly help us. And I did, I found one in Brisbane and they're called not-for-profit lawyers. And Joanne Redburn is absolutely fantastic. And so she she did everything for us. And Brad, who owns the IGA store, kindly offered to pay pay the costs involved for that. I think they ended up being around close to around that $10,000 mark. We couldn't have done it without his help. Otherwise, there would have been a lot more fundraising events happening for us. Without the help of this lawyer, it certainly wouldn't have gone ahead because it is a minefield. It really is a minefield for anybody who, who doesn't understand or, or know really what to do. And at that stage, we, we didn't. You know, We just knew we wanted to help people. We wanted to set up a charity and just nobody could point us in the right direction. So it was a really big challenge and a big learning curve, but it's certainly been worth it. Excellent. And yeah, definitely for, for what you're doing for people, it certainly is is worth it for so many. On that journey then, obviously there's been, I'm sure, some ups and downs along that path that you've taken and setting up the charity and the structure and making sure the financial side is running properly and above board and everything is really important. But I know that's not all you do. So perhaps you can just share with us what else you've done to engage people on this journey with you because obviously as a charity you need people on both sides so you need people who are who are giving and people who are in need how have you gone about making those relationships and finding those people and getting people to act and do something like what have you done to make all of that happen it's funny Jen who's the other director here at Drown Angel she always says that I just have this special way of engaging people in to help. I'm not quite sure how, but when we first started, I just asked all my friends when Nikki and I started, we put it on Facebook and just said, you know, we're doing a fundraiser to raise money for our farmers. Would anybody like to help? And I guess I'm pretty blessed in that I have a pretty amazing circle of friends who are, are just as kind and giving. And, you know, they all sort of put up their hand in one way or another to help out. Facebook has actually been a really wonderful tool and that's how Drought Angels started and that's how I guess I've got all of our assistance just by putting you know, messages through our Facebook page and my personal page saying, this is what I'm doing, would anybody like to help? And yeah, I never, I never have anybody ever say no. Yeah, I just, I guess I'm just, I'm very lucky in that. Yeah, my friends are very giving and caring as well. So they all jumped on board and then from there, the Chinchilla community really rallied behind us. 
uh, Mickey and I would go and, you know, we had a heap of jewellery donated from a shop that was closing down. So Mickey and I would go and sit at the front of the IGA and sell the jewellery for $5 or $10 a piece to raise money to buy hay or food for our farmers. I don't know. I guess nothing has really been that much of a challenge the whole way along with Drought Angels because I've just been incredibly blessed to be, I guess, surrounded by people who just wanted to help. The Chinchilla News would get on board and then other newspapers would get on board and then radio stations would hear, you know, ring me and do interviews. From all those interviews, you would get one or two phone calls and those one or two phone calls would be people who wanted to join in and do something else to help as well. That's that's all really, really great. And I think one of the things that comes through that for me is the willingness to try new things, but also the willingness to ask for help and not think that you have to be the one to solve this problem all on your own and do all of the work all on your own, but engaging other people and asking for what you need. So on the side of need, obviously there's a lot of farmers in our region and in the country Have you found that you needed to sort of provide anything extra to encourage them to be involved as well in some way? Like what have you done on on that side? Because obviously you find people who need what you're providing, whether it's hay or money or food or whatever it might be. How are you finding those people and engaging them to be, I guess, putting themselves in a position where they might feel quite vulnerable to be asking for help? When we first started, it was actually nobody ever put their hand out or not put their hand up to ask for help, it was always somebody nominating. It might have been a son, a cousin, a brother, an auntie, you know, nominating or a neighbour saying, look, I know somebody who's really struggling. They could really use some help. Could you possibly help them? So that was how we first got started was just word of mouth of people letting us know. And then we would contact these people or go and visit them on their farm and introduce ourselves and say what we did and what we had to help them. And then we we took a really big turn in July 2018 when the media really got a hold of the drought and it hit Sydney's doorstep. And then from there, it's been mainly, there's still been a few referrals, but most of it's been people have, have been hearing about us now and then they apply online through our website for the assistance and then we contact them and help them from there. And people always used to say, you know, how how do you go rocking up to these properties when these people aren't expecting you? And so I always just said, well, you can say no to two two girls rocking up with a smile on their face, coming in to check on them and see how they're going. And that's exactly what we used to do. We just used to cold call onto these properties and say, hi, we're from Drought Angels. We're just here to check on you and see how you're going and what can we do to help you? And yeah, we, we never got turned away, not once. Wow, that's great. And I think it's it's such a valuable lesson for people to learn as well that sometimes you've just got to put yourself on that front foot and go and approach whoever you need to be talking to. So whether it is someone in the media or whether it is someone who is potentially in need, even if they're not expecting you, the worst thing they can do is turn you away. But as you said, they didn't. So I imagine there's lots and lots of things that you're proud of, but is there a particular moment along the journey that you're you're most proud of? I think probably one of the proudest moments was when the Dubbo Council contacted us to be part of the group to come down and meet Harry and Megan when they came to Australia. We uh, got an invitation from them. They only invited a couple of organisations to be on that inner circle at Dubbo where the couple came in to talk to the community. They came around personally to us and asked us questions about 
what we do and how we do it and why we do it. And we were prepared. Like they, they kept preparing us. Just have a short, sharp speech ready to just tell them about what you do and how you do it and introduce yourself. So Jen and I had had this speech practiced for days about what we were going to say. And when um, Harry and Megan arrived, literally as they were walking over to our stall, the skies opened up and it started pouring down rain. <laughs> and Harry walked straight behind where we were standing behind the desk and and Megan went around the front and he completely threw us. He was just so open and down to earth and Jen forgot to introduce herself. She introduced me to him without introducing herself and she's shaking his hand and, and Harry saying to her, and who are you? What's your name? And we were both so nervous then and just lost everything that we'd practiced for days. <laughs> Had just completely gone out the window. <laughs> But we still did well. We He was just so down to earth and lovely. And uh, I just can't even begin to express how much of an honour it was that the Dubbo Council chose us of all the organisations out there that are doing something. We were one of the lucky ones to personally meet them. So that's definitely, I think, one of my proudest moments. And I think that goes to show as well that you're obviously helping people, not just in Chinchilla anymore, like this is, it's grown much bigger and you're helping farmers is it all over the country the eastern side where where do you sort of reach to now all over australia there isn't a state in australia now that we haven't helped a farmer so everywhere our wings reach across the whole country as we say and we're pretty proud of that awesome that's really really good i imagine you've got ideas or plans still or beyond what you've achieved so far can you share with us a little bit around what's driving you to move forward and what that next stage of your journey might look like our drive is always our farmers and making sure that they stay where they belong and that's on their farms to keep producing the food and and clothes for us australians and everyone all over the world as far as um where we're going next, with this COVID, it certainly has thrown a little bit of a spanner in our works in that we've had to take our volunteers off the road because most of them were 70 plus. We have learnt that there's a lot of, not only our farmers in the rural communities that need assistance, but, you know, there's lots of people, you know, we can't help everybody, but we can change a little bit of what we do and then helping other, some of the other community groups within the rural towns. So we're, we're thinking of coming up with domestic violence packs or homeless packs that we can give to the agencies in the town to then pass on to those people. So we won't deal with them directly, but we'll indirectly deal with them in, in providing assistance for them. We will still keep dealing directly with our farmers because that's our, our core and our heart and our soul. COVID has definitely taught us a lesson in that we could probably branch out a little bit more to help more people in rural communities because we've definitely learned that there's not a lot of assistance for the rural communities in, in what we do and, and especially like organisations or charities based out in rural towns, whereas a lot of other charities are all based in the cities and offer help to the rural communities, but just doesn't always work that way. The rural communities get forgotten, so we're going to make them our priority. I guess that's one aspect of how we're changing and... Another aspect is we've got somebody new in our warehouse now, so he's actually my husband. <laughs> um, so we're going to be working together, but he's come over and taken over the logistics and the warehousing side of things so we can get more out and more efficiently and quicker. There's a few changes happening within the organisation. We've had time to actually slow down and focus on the business rather than working in it all the time, I guess you'd say. 
So whereas we've just been flat out since since July 2018 when everything escalated, we haven't had time to scratch ourselves. With the COVID, it's actually given us a little bit of a reprieve to focus on things that we just haven't had time to do or do properly. Now we actually can put the systems in place to get them done properly. It's nice to know there's a silver lining in there somewhere that's good and I think you're not the only one in that boat uh, of going, oh, actually, whilst there's a lot of things not great about this, there's actually a few positives and we're going to take that opportunity. It's great to hear that you're able to do that and interesting that your husband is now joining you after telling you to get a hobby. He's now coming to uh, to work with you. So that's really (laughs) wonderful and obviously he's bringing some great skills along to help with everything there. This obviously has been a big journey for you and something that perhaps you you never really thought would be where you would end up at this point in your life. And I I know you've got a a busy life as well as Drought Angels with family and everything else that you're responsible for. If you were chatting to someone and they mentioned to you that they had an idea for something that they thought they might want to take forward, what would you want them to know before they begin based on what you've learnt? Definitely do your research and never say never. I was always that child at school and even an adult that if it came to public speaking, I would run the other way. At school, I would tell mum I was sick and get her to keep me home on those days because I was petrified of public speaking. And I still get very nervous, but I'm certainly getting better at it. But had anyone ever told me that this is what I would be doing, I uh, certainly wouldn't have believed them. So I would say never never think anything is, is impossible because it is. It really is. And if it's something that you're passionate about and that you love and you can put your heart and soul into it, that really shows through. And I think that's what really shows through with Drought Angels is that it's not only my heart and soul in this, but it's Jen's heart and soul and, you know, it's my husband's heart and soul and something that we're all passionate about and that really shows through in what you do. I think if you're doing something that just isn't you and you can't relate to it, you just don't, you don't shine at it, I think. And yeah, I think if you're passionate, do it and follow your heart and believe in yourself. Great advice there. And I will just throw in a little bit. I remember meeting you for the very first time out in Chinchilla at a WIRE program boot camp. And one of the tasks was to stand up in front of a group and speak. And I do recall that someone wasn't particularly fussed in in doing that. I'm pretty sure I've got a video somewhere as well. I might have to go digging for that. But I think it's testament to say that if you are passionate about it, you will overcome whatever, I guess, in hindsight, little barriers that you put up for yourself around things that you're not comfortable about to work through that because you see the greater good and what will come from developing yourself and doing those things that maybe you're not always so keen on. So so well done on pushing through that and doing what's required. Thank you. For the, the final thing, I'm really keen for you to just share with everyone how they can connect with you, how they can find out more about Drought Angels and, of course, what you might be in need of. If people are looking to help in some way, how can they do that? How can they find you and how can they help? Okay, so finding us is as easy as looking at our website, which is droughtangels.org.au. Also, finding us coming and visiting us at our warehouse in Chinchilla. We're at 29 Muldoff Street, Chinchilla. Always happy to see people. 
Uh, and that's, that's the same for farmers who need to apply for assistance or anybody who even just wants to come to volunteer or, or learn about what we do. And then we have a little charity shop at our warehouse in Chinchilla. So if anybody happens to be cleaning out their house, we don't take clothing, but we take any household items. The funds that we raise through the charity shop goes towards paying our rent and electricity and those sorts of costs. That's one way people can, can assist us. The other way is always donations. We're always in need of monetary donations that we can use. We, we're very big in providing our farmers with prepaid visas so that they can go and spend that in their local towns and buy things at their local businesses and support their local communities because we don't like to take too much into the communities because we're going to hurt local businesses. So whereas the prepaids are just a great option for people to be able to go and you know, buy what they need in their local town. And then we also do grocery collections. If people, anybody wanted to do a grocery collection for us, because we're always taking out grocery hampers to our farming families. So we're always in need of grocery items, preferably in date. We don't like to give our families anything out of date. That's another way that they can help. Or they might like to come and volunteer at our warehouse. Always welcome to, to contact us and, and there's always ways to volunteer, whether it's volunteering here at the warehouse or if we're going to events. We were going to be at the CMC and we needed volunteers to help at CMC. So we often go to events where we need volunteers in different communities. Be Brisbane, might be Toowoomba. We haven't been out of Queensland yet for events, but we're hoping to work on that. So there's a number of ways people can help. And you know, it's just a matter of picking up the phone and giving us a call and letting us know even your skills and how we could put them to work. Wonderful. And I think one of the things you mentioned there was about groceries and collecting them. I know for myself, we were able to do that through our school. So at the the Glenning School in Toowoomba, they were a collection point where you could drop things off and it was regularly reminded to contribute there. So that might be something someone could think about maybe in their town, their area being a collection point for people to bring things in and doing a bit of social media push around it and bringing those longer lasting items that are going to stay in date for quite some time. Or the monetary option is a nice simple way. And as you said, prepaid visa card can mean that that person can go to the butchers or to the local hardware store or to the news agency or the clothing store or anything like that in their own town, it's not only helping them but helping the other people around them in that community as well. So I think that's a really great point that you make there. Droughtangels.org.au is where you can find pretty much everything and you're on social media too, I imagine, Facebook, Instagram. Yes, we're on all of the social medias. I've got Anne who runs our social media now, is absolutely incredible. She does an amazing job. Yeah, even if you send messages, you'll you'll hear from Angela and uh, she's wonderful. That's great. Anything else that you wanted to say before we wrap up for today? Um, I just think that probably, I mean, something I've always I've driven home and I guess it's really coming to the surface now is, you know, buying Australian. I always say to people when you go to the supermarket, if you can just make those conscious decisions to buy Australian fruit and veggies or, you know, Australian products, that makes the biggest difference to our farmers, that people are supporting them that way as well. It's like so many people often ask, you know, how else they can help and, and yeah, that's another way I tell people that, you know, if people can't afford to always donate to charity, but another way that they can help is just making those conscious decisions to buy Australian at the supermarket. 
great advice and it doesn't take much to have a quick check of the label and have a look. So good point. Well, thanks so much, Tash, for your time today. Uh, I hope that others who are listening have gained a few little points of wisdom to take forward on their own journey of taking their idea into reality as well and also uh, the opportunity to perhaps give back a little to the local community. So thank you very much and we wish you well for your future endeavours too. Thank you so much for having me, Joy. It's been great to be with you. If you follow us on social media, you may have seen that Canvas Coworking has been successful in an application to the Federal Government Incubator Support Program for funds to assist in creating the Flare Incubator. So why Flare, you ask? Great question. Flare stands for female-led aspiring to be international, regional, so F-L-A-I-R. The incubator will support startups and businesses who have an aspiration to service an overseas market with a woman in the lead of the organisation. They could be brand new with just an idea or they may already be trading domestically and are now setting their sights on expanding abroad. Work begins on the systems, staffing and structure of the incubator today and we'll be opening for applications in about two weeks' time. So if you're a woman that wants to go global, be sure to sign up to our newsletter to be the first to know when applications open. Anyone who knows me well knows that I love to travel and have been spreading my wings for a few years now, quite intentionally travelling to new places, meeting new people and finding those special ones that are super supportive of entrepreneurs. We have lots of great people on our list to connect the incubator teams with once we get underway. However, if you are listening to this thinking, I have experience taking my business abroad and could share my insights to help other Aussie women avoid some of the challenges that I had. Or perhaps you're thinking, I don't live in Australia. However, I support entrepreneurs in my own country and I'm really well connected and would love to help those who want to bring their services here. Either way, we would love to hear from you and add you to our outreach list. Once we know who's joining us and what they need, then we can get in touch. Check out canvascoworking.com.au forward slash flair, so that's F-L-A-I-R, to sign up to the list and get some more information. So far in our startup lessons, we've talked about what to do when you have an idea, such as talking about it and writing down why it's important to you, why you're the person to develop this solution and make a business out of it. Today, we're going to talk about the people you want to help, the ones with the problem, the customer. Now, firstly, not all customers are created equal. It is highly likely that your customer will be complex, aren't we all? It is possible you'll have an end user, the person who will physically use the solution, the decision maker being the person who will decide whether your solution is likely to solve the problem or create more problems, the economic buyer, the one who's in charge of the purse strings, and will decide if your solution is within budget and potentially good value for money. You then have a couple of extras who we'll talk about a little bit more later on, 
But for now, let's just call them the influencer and the saboteur. Among all of those, in the initial stages, you're searching for the early adopter. The one you don't want to have to convince that they have the problem and someone who knows that they need a solution, ideally from you. They already know that. You don't have to convince them. So an early adopter cares about the problem, is looking for a solution, has a willingness and capacity to pay, exists in a part of the market that you can get access to, has previously paid for a Band-Aid being a solution that they know is only temporary and is willing to help design the solution. Spending time identifying and building a relationship with early adopters will save you time, money and energy going forward. And just a little hint, it's not your mum. Even if she wants to buy your solution and especially if she gives you loads of lovely feedback. Not helpful mum, but thanks anyway. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's Ideas into Reality episode. And we hope that you enjoyed learning about our founder's journey and got a couple of takeaways from the lesson learned that will help end the flames of your idea. Assuming you did, be sure to subscribe to this podcast on your favourite podcast app and let your friends know too. They might just be sitting on an idea that you do not even know about yet. You can find out more about Canvas Coworking and Startup Toowoomba by visiting our websites, canvascoworking.com.au and startuptoowoomba.com.au or finding us on pretty much any social media platform. My name is Joy Taylor and I'd like to thank you for joining me on this journey and I look forward to introducing you to our next guest in our next episode.